Hello again, friends. And you are our friends, the great Brian Last here, and of course, the star of the drive-thru, Mr. Jim Cornette. Boy, you jumped right into that one, didn't you? We have no time to waste. We have no time to, we don't even know if this is going to air, because ladies and gentlemen, it, Brian Last, you are a MeTV fan on a Sunday night. Very much so. You like the, the vintage television, and you know they show Mission Impossible. And they're showing it in order. They're back into the first season now where Jim Phelps wasn't around. That that screwball fella that uh, they kicked off after the first season. We talked about him a while back. But you know what the recording said at the start of the program? If any of your impossible mission force are caught or killed, we will disavow. The secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. Well, I hereby... Today on the on the drive-through, for you and me both, disavow any goddamn thing that happens today because we're lucky to be doing a program at all. So I would like to disavow this right now. So, ladies and gentlemen, stay tuned if you are indeed hearing this for whatever the fuck it is we're about to do because we're lucky to be doing it. And first, it was it was your, not even my sparkling spectrum cable and internet service it was your groovy gravy fucking blazing fast groovy gravy yeah you're fucking hoity-toity hotsy-totsy you always brag about them your blazing fast internet company up there what's the name of them xfinity infinity xfinity infinity xfinity whatever we were going to record this program yesterday, and they notified you, well, for intermittent times between the hours of maybe 6 a.m. and whatever the fuck p.m. at night, we're just going to turn all your shit off at random. Back and forth, looks like you got a, like a junkie with a clicker on the morphine drip. It's going <laughs> on and off, back and fucking forth. So we, we'll do this today. Well, they had a reason. It was to upgrade. Uh, the reason was to fuck us up. The reason was to, to prevent us from bringing truth, justice, and the American way to the world. And, and then we're, we're trying to do this program today, but since you, your internet was blazing fast last week, but when now that they've improved everything yesterday, you sound like goddamn the fucking ordering machine and drive through a jack-in-the-box coming out of a clown's mouth. To me, at least. I don't know. It may sound great on tape. But we're always... We're, we're, we're careful with our audio quality, so we disavow anything of that. And then, as soon as, as we finish this, and I'm not going to pontificate too much further because we're going to blazingly fast get into the program because I've just found out I have to go visit my cousin Larry, who I've spoken about on the program, in the hospital today, which I just found out he's in the hospital last night. And somebody's going to say, well, is it, is it bad? Well, did you ever hear of anybody feeling so good they had to be taken to the hospital? So, and, and now I've got all kinds of my goddamn phobias jumping up and fucking fencing with each other in my stomach. Because we have talked about the fact that I have been to a bare handful of funerals. In, oh. in my lifetime, right? I didn't know we were going there, but yeah, you've said well, that. Well, we've spoken about that. Well, another thing is, is uh, we have not spoken about the fact that when do you hear me say, well, I visited so-and-so in the hospital? Never. Never? 
Okay, well, you sounded like Kermit the Frog on that first never. I was trying to think there must be an example of compassionate Jim Cornette, but no, it's not there. Well, but here's the thing. Fortunately, I have very few blood relatives remaining and living in the world. Uh, so that doesn't happen too often. And and most of the people that I know, Stacy's not been hospitalized and everybody else I know is far away. Uh, basically since mama Cornette passed away, I've been to visit somebody in a hospital twice in 20 years. And so, because it, it, number, I do not, I do not process death well. So I prefer to just act like it doesn't exist, except when we, unfortunately we're reminded of it every once in a while here on a program. And also think about this because I've always been medical phobic and I have been hurt a number of times, but I've never been sick. I mean, I've been sick, but I'm at sick, sick. We're putting this motherfucker in the hospital. It's, you know, touch or go whether he's getting out or not. And that shit scares the shit out of me. So I've, and then you're, you're, when you're going to a hospital, not only are you going to see someone that you obviously don't want to be sick, if you wanted them to be sick, you wouldn't be going to visit them. Except maybe to make sure, I don't fucking know. Yeah, they're in there, good. But also, that's where all the fucking sick people are. So you're going to immerse yourself in a sea of sick people in order to see the person that you wish wasn't sick. When do you, when's the last time you went and visited somebody in a hospital? My dad was in the hospital last year. Well, okay. When's the last time before that? Uh, when Suzanne had our son. Oh. Well, when's the last time before that? <laughs> um, I I don't recall, but I've been well, in... I, I visit people I care about, but I have a lot of family that we're talking about. Well, see, that's your problem. What's Do my like me, whittle down to practically no fucking blood relations, and it's easier. So you're going to go for the whole hospital experience today? You're going to put on the cap, put on a smock or one of those gowns? and I don't, You know, the last time what I did was I went in the service entrance and I, I found a closet that had these green outfits. And that way, because I didn't want people to, you know, ask for autographs and stuff and recognize who I was. So I put the mask on and I put the cap on and they had these green jacket and these green pants. And then I found these cute little slippers. And I was walking down the hall to the room that I was trying to find. And all of a sudden, a bunch of people dressed just like me came out of one door. And I got fucking caught up into it. And I got pushed through into another door. And I'll be a son of a bitch. It took me two hours to get out of there. They wouldn't let me open the door. They said it was sterile while they were taking something out of this fucking guy. Well. But this is your program. This is my program. I guess we're going in reverse order today. We went from death to hospitals. Let's go to AEW, Jim. Well, as speaking we are... of hospitals, speaking <laughs> of hospitals, wait, we need to go no further. Who, which one of us is going to go visit the plumber? They tried to assassinate him last night, didn't they? Well, let's just let the listeners know first. The review of Dynamite will be on the experience that we are recording in a couple of days. We're not doing any reviews today, but this is topical. This just happened. The clips are out there. John Moxley in an international title defense against Ray Phoenix with Rick Knox as the referee appeared to, at a minimum, be Knox silly. Well, at a, at a maximum, they tried to do it again. 
And then he lost the belt that he just won because he was knocked silly. Apparently, possibly twice. We don't know because uh, in the the just in the match because this was not the finish. This has been verified as factual. This wasn't a finish. Old Phoenix, he's gonna fucking pick Moxley up over his shoulder and do what looked like an odd variation of a tombstone pile driver, except he's sitting down, he's putting Moxley, he's got him over his shoulder in like a power slam position, but then he tucks his head, Moxley's head, between Felix's own legs, and then sits down. That kind of tombstone pile driver. And you can see from the clip all the things that were wrong with this, which we'll go into in detail in a second. But then he gives him that move, and he covers him. An old corpse referee goes down for the count, and Moxley's not moving. And he counts one. Moxley doesn't move. Two. Moxley doesn't move. And he's going to count three, and Moxley ain't moving, and he holds up right before he hits the mat, and Moxley still hasn't moved or kicked out. The fans start booing because they obviously see what just happened. Yes, it was, it was not only a close-up on, on camera on television, but in the arena, it was deathly obvious that this guy had not moved a muscle. And then you see Moxley, and he may have said something beforehand, but you see Moxley say something again, Something to the effect of, I would imagine, pin me, right? And in, then Felix, instead of the guy's laying there and he's obviously been hurt because he's willing to unplanned lose the international title that he just won two weeks ago or whatever because he can't get up or something's wrong. So instead of... Felix, like, running to the ropes and dropping an elbow on him. Or who doing a flippy-doo and just giving him a little splash or something so the guy doesn't have to fucking move. Felix picks him up and puts him over his shoulders and gives him a little different kind of fucking thing that he just gave him that hurt him to begin with. And that one looked more dangerous than the first one as far as dropping somebody on their head and neck. And then he covered him one, two, three. I, and here's another thing. When, when Moxley told him, beat me, pin me, whatever he said, and Felix immediately gets up and starts pulling him up, Moxley went with it. Instead of saying, no, you fucking moron. What do you think I'm saying beat me for? I'm hurt. He, he went up with it as best he could. And he got dropped on his head again. This was, this is the first time in history. Think about this. All the botches that I've seen, all the injuries that I've seen, either live or on tape or all the wrestling I've watched. This is the first time where all three individuals involved were complete Fucking idiots. I don't know how to explain what they were thinking. And 
You think Moxley deserves any blame for this, or is it just yes. purely the other two? Okay. For for the second one. He shouldn't have gone up? Fuck no. If if you if you had dropped me on my head once to the point where I'm saying, fuck it, beat me, it's live TV. This I'm fuck the finish. Pin me. I'm not kicking out. And this motherfucker goes to pick me up again. I said, fuck you. I'm paralyzed. Cover me. What the fuck? If you've if you've gone that far already. But no, he's like, okay, I guess he's gonna give me something else. I can't feel my feet, but you know. What about Rick Knox's role? Hey, okay, before we go into the the pile driver mechanics, let's talk about the referee first. He's an idiot. We've mentioned that before, but in this case, referees in wrestling school are taught count it like a shoot. There was a big brouhaha with Vince before he had lost many of his faculties, but I bet there probably still would be, but this is 20-some years ago. God damn it, find the referees. If, if a guy doesn't kick out and he doesn't count it, fuck it, I don't care if that's a finish. The heat went on the talent for not kicking out unless they were knocked out, in which case, you know, you can't blame them. But the referee not counting, you could blame. It's not just a Vince thing for all you Vince haters. Bill Watts. And he wasn't the only promoter in the territories. They didn't find people in Memphis. They just fucking starved them out and ran them off if they didn't want you around. But Watts would find, Eddie Graham would find, or the referee would just get fucking tongue-lashed and not booked. If a guy didn't kick out and the referee held up, it exposed business and, and instantly as a buzz-killing moment, which this was, people booed instantly. It always is. And referees are told in major and minor companies. I, in OVW, we said that it's not, this is not novel. Count it like a shoot. If the guy doesn't kick out, it's his fucking fault. But it was obvious Moxley was not moving. There was no, there was no late kick. There was no question, did he get his shoulder up? He didn't move a fucking muscle. And Knox just held up because he comes from the land of Lilliputian play wrestling. Where, oh, that's not the finish, and I know that. So I'm going to tell however many thousand people and however many hundred thousand people watching on television that that wasn't the finish. Do you think referees should automatically know? I mean, is this something they're taught that you should know what to do if the guy doesn't kick out? You just keep counting. It's not your job to stop counting unless they really kick out. Yes, that's that's uh, what I'm saying. That's part of what referees are told is you've got to. Obviously, it's a work and you can't get in the way and you can't really enforce the rules, but you have to act like you're trying. And if you're not counting it like a shoot, one thing is you need the same cadence on your count to where guys that work with you often can really learn it and do those close kickouts and et cetera. But at the same time, if you're working with a guy for the first time, it you know, unless it's called for a quick count in the you finish, fast counting, one, two, three, whatever the fuck, then referees need to have the same fucking cadence so that guys know when to kick, whether they worked with them or not. But that means not fucking holding up if it's goddamn obvious this guy hasn't even started to move yet. And, you know, not only is 
Should it be fairly obvious that something's wrong, but also, if you do your job, the fucking heat goes on him. And why would Plumber Moxley, of all the professional individuals in the world, not kick out when he, he sells almost nothing anyway, and his new belt was on the line? And then the referee's just standing there slack-jawed with hands akimbo while the guy picks the guy up that's not kicking to begin with and drops him on his head again. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I mean, I don't even know what to say. I mean, Rick Knox, it's something everyone said. Everyone who's not a pro wrestling gorilla devotee will say that Rick Knox is the worst referee they've ever seen. And it's because he's less of a referee than just like a prop. And at times, the prop is like a tree or just something that doesn't move. Just stand in the corner and put your hands on your head. That's what referees do. Well, and also it's so off-putting that he's so pale you can actually see his blood coursing through his veins. He looks like a fucking elementary school science project. But anyway, let's talk about the pile driver for a minute. Yeah. Because I've been pile-driven by numerous people, right? Jerry Lawler being probably the most notable aficionado of the pile driver. And the first time I ever got pile driven was by Steve Kern, though. It was a spike pile driver with Stan and Steve on the concrete floor in the Mid-South Coliseum. And I was scared shitless. He explained to me how to do it. When you're getting, if the guy bends you over and puts your head between his thighs, put your hands on the side of his knees. Not only does it help you post up, but also you're making sure that when he picks you up, your head doesn't pop out from between his legs and he can't control you as easy. And also, if your hands are there on the sides of his legs, that way when you go down, you've got something to gauge things, push off of, etc., as we'll get to in a second. When you pick the guy up, the legs got to go straight up in the air because if they're bent and hanging over forward, then your weight's not distributed as, as well as it could be. The guy can't control you or protect you properly. So the feet go straight up in the air. When the guy's going to jump or sit down or whatever he does, your head is between his thighs, but you also have the ability because you're braced with your hands on his knees and the sides of his legs that when you feel his ass land, you can still tuck your chin a bit instead of having your head straight up and down and nobody notices. And then it helps you push off to get a little pop out of it. Or if you're Rob Van Dam and he's got freaky fucking muscle control or whatever, you could, you know, without even using his hands, he can pop off his shoulders and pop straight up in the air. And that's why I laughed when when they banned the pile driver, right? Or they're talking about in the WWE, you can't drop anybody on their head, the tombstone or the pile driver, whatever. I would rather take 25 pile drivers in a row from Jerry Lawler, one right after another, than let one of these fucking guys put me through a table. Because it's safe if both people know what they're doing. And... I've been tombstoned by The Undertaker and Kane. And same thing. When he picks you up, it's just in reverse. Your head's between his fucking thighs. 
And you can, because of the way that anatomy bends your bodies, as they drop to their knees, you don't have to be head fucking first. You can tuck a little bit to take the brunt off, but with his motion, it you can't fucking tell. And I know a lot of these goofy 150-pound gymnasts like take it on top of their head because they trust the guy to hold them. Well, fine, that's fine for you. But again, I'd rather take 25 tombstones from The Undertaker in a row than have one of these fuckers dive over the top rope onto me on the floor, whether I was laying there, standing there, or in any goddamn position in between. Because it's safer. How about like Paul Orndorff? He would jump in the yes. air. Yes. And he was a fucking strong guy, and he had the technique, and his thigh muscles were massive, and your head never fucking touched. And he never hurt anybody. And it looked like it killed. That's the idea. It's supposed to look like it hurts you, but not. So, and it, it was some of the, because um, this Paldra sit down over the shoulder tombstone variation that old Felix was given Moxley. You've seen like, wasn't it Rikishi? Because I know some of the Samoan boys have done that the over the shoulder and they would drop to a sitting position suddenly. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Scott Steiner used to do the same thing. Where their thighs were so big that it could cushion your head if you go back, the shoulder was landing. The head was nowhere near the mat because of the big fucking legs. And with Scotty, it was a little closer than with Rikishi. But the violent motion of the downward and then the stop is what created the illusion. But what this fucking guy... Felix's thighs probably aren't any bigger around than mine. And his legs were spread. So Moxley's head went straight through. And it looked like because Felix might have thought because he had his left hand, I believe, cupping Moxley's back of his head, he may have thought, well, I've got him tucked. Well, it just, it was just still propelling him downward. He went through in between old Felix's legs because they were spread outward and didn't get, and there wasn't a lot of cushion there anyway. And the guy's so short that Moxley is, his upper body is taller than most of the Lucha guys that I would imagine that Felix works with anyway. So his head was going to be closer when he was over the guy's shoulder and going head first straight down. And I don't know why in the world, after he dropped him like that the first time, that Moxley would want to take any variation of another one. Well, it, it, if, if, he was concussed, if he was concussed and didn't, wasn't fully aware of what was happening, maybe, I mean, I'm not saying this happened, but you could see maybe he called for the finish again. They don't realize that he's concussed. Is that the only possible... Or was there a... No, you wouldn't call for the that finish again. <laughs> it would zip in <laughs> me or beat me or... No, if you hit somebody in the head with a fucking frying pan, they're going to say, do it again? No, maybe, maybe was there a language barrier? I don't know. But if he's saying, beat me or pin me or whatever, that doesn't mean pick me up and hurt me again. 
I don't, I'm just, oh my God. So the form on this thing was way off on the execution by Felix. And the, I, mean, I don't know what was going on with, with Moxley. Okay, you know, let me get up on your shoulders so you can fucking break it this time. My neck's only fucking traumatized. I don't know what the fuck was going on. Help me get my vacation. Help me get my vacation. I want to go to St. Martin. And Knox apparently needs to see somebody glued to the goddamn canvas screaming, help me, get me up, before he'll count three. He is the worst. I, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's comical how, like, inept he is at every function of being a referee. Every tag match, you see him and he enforces nothing. He stands there, like, confused. But, but it, that's, uh, from, from seeing that, I can't honestly find any individual involved in this thing without some kind of fault. And like I said, as a referee, Knox would have been fined by numerous promoters over the years for a blatant count holdup like that when there was no effort to kick out. And then, obviously, when the guy's saying, pin me, beat me, whatever he's fucking communicating, that, that he's standing there while a guy picks him up again. And with and Felix, Jesus Christ, if, if I'm wrestling for a championship that I'm not supposed to win, and I do something to the champion, and he indicates beat me, I'm not going to pick him up and even take a chance on hurting him again, am I? Am I an insane person? <laughs> Listen, I have no idea how all that broke down. Every outcome is ridiculous, though. Every, I mean, you know, and, but then they said, they said that it, Moxley, they thought he had a concussion in the back, but apparently he was okay, but they took Adam Cole to the hospital. Yeah. Because he jumped off the ramp to do a run-in and hurt his ankle. So, again, the luck of fools that this guy gets dropped on his head by a maniac twice, and oh, he's okay, but Adam Cole jumps off the fucking entrance ramp. Oh, we got to cart him off in a meat wagon. What the fuck is going on over there? And the man who did that to Moxley is also the man we saw have his arm snapped in half on live TV on That's this show. Right. It's all well, injuries he's everywhere. back for revenge, folks. <laughs> all injury wrestling. You take my arm, I take Moxley's head. <laughs> Boy, well, you know, that used to be the way that guys, if, if they didn't know each other when they were wrestling each other for the first time and the heels and the baby faces were in separate locker rooms, when the bell rang and they came out to the middle of the ring, the heel would introduce himself. He'd say, hi, I'm Wild Bull Curry. Take my head. And the guy would get a headlock. Now, if you said, take my head, they'd really take it. And they might not give it back. Well, we'll, I'm sure, have more to say about this when Jim actually gets to review the match. Ray Phoenix and John Moxley at AEW. AEW Grand Slam. Maybe I've been dropped on my head a few times. Do you, do you think it'll ruin my enjoyment of the match to know the finish already? No, I think you need to see the road to get there. <laughs> the intricate story they told in this match to get to the concussion slash beheading that happened I, at the end of the match. I guarantee you he had already kicked out of five things that looked way more serious. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what more to say about that on the experience 
And also on the experience, I know we said we're going to have it on the drive through today, but we are doing a compact episode today. So cast media update, cast media, Colin Thompson, who owes us a lot of money, podcast one, live one, all that on the experience as well. But Jim, stock prices ain't looking too good. Well, let's just do that real quick. As we are recording podcast one courtside group incorporated $2 and 15 cents. <laughs> And the parent company Live One is at one dollar and two cents. Oh, so, uh, you know, when I when I heard the term penny stocks, I didn't realize there were actually stocks you could buy for a penny. I thought it was just a derogatory term. Well, those could have been our pennies, but maybe some other time, Jim. Another thing happening as we are recording today. I have an article here from the Hollywood Reporter. Alex Weprin, the writer. WWE SmackDown leaving Fox for USA next year as Raw hits the market. In addition, WWE will produce four primetime specials for NBC Broadcast Network, or the NBC Broadcast Network. Well, the, the only thing I don't know about this yet, I didn't see how many pennies there are changing hands. Did they talk about any of the... the value of the contract, uh, the rights, or is that something we're going to have to find out from Thurston Howell III later on? Yeah, I think we're going to have to wait until they actually file their reports. They are a publicly traded company. In a significant shakeup of pro wrestling programming, WWE SmackDown will leave Fox and jump to the USA Network beginning in October 2024. In addition, WWE will produce four primetime specials per year which will air in primetime on the NBC broadcast network until those ratings get embarrassingly low. <laughs> I added that. But, but now wait. But now wait. I don't think they, they were 10 years ago or whenever it was, but now they ain't going to be embarrassing because SmackDown, those NBC specials, this is not going to turn into WWE Rampage or WWE Battle of the Belts, they're going to fucking load those specials up because they've left network television, over-the-air broadcast television for whatever that's worth anymore. It, it used to be a, a banner of, of you know, uh, pride, but it's still a lot of people. SmackDown reaches more people, more viewers than Raw does. But they're going... To USA, and I'm assured, probably not only for a lot of money, but also if they get NBC specials, they're going to load those things up. Those are going to be more destination programming than even the, the regular weekly series and especially what Tony's made out of his gifts he got because they kind of did the same thing. They, they made the same offer, TBS and T into Warner Media did to Tony when they switched his network after, and they didn't want to hurt his feelings too bad because they know he's emotional. So they said, we'll give you four specials a year. And he's he took a great title for the series and then tanked it completely. Well, in this case, that was probably part of the negotiation. We're going to give up our network TV presence for you, but you're going to make sure we have one as bonuses through these NBC specials, and they're going to have a theme probably of some kind, and they're going to have matches, I would think, that are a little bit more heavily promoted, and they're going to try to do 
uh, you know, something with that as promotional tools for the probably the big four pay-per-views. So that's a strategic business decision that I believe the WWE is going to take advantage of. But, you know, the thing you've talked about, the ratings, you don't, the bar is lower. And we've said SmackDown's doing a decent network rating on TV every week. You don't think quarterly specials with more oomph to them may be leading into Survivor Series, Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam are going to do a bad number. Well, I'll continue here. Oh, okay. Don't offer any of your own thoughts. Well, let me finish the article. And again, we don't know any financials at this time, but SmackDown will debut on USA beginning in October 2024. The NBC specials will begin in the 2024-2025 broadcast season. This new deal is for five years. The Friday night program currently airs on Fox. It's home since 2019. The news was announced Thursday morning by WWE, which earlier this month merged with UFC. Where, is there any other info here? NBC Universal, which owns both USA and NBC, has been in business with the WWE for decades, with the wrestling promotions Monday Night Raw franchise debuting on USA in 1993. Raw still runs on USA, as does NXT, the WWE's developmental program. Or development program, not developmental, excuse me. NBCU's Peacock is also the streaming home of WWE's signature events, including WrestleMania. While the new deal will bring WWE to NBC primetime and SmackDown to USA on Friday nights, it will also mean the end of Raw and NXT on USA. Wait, what? what? Wait, what? A source familiar with the Raw discussions tell The Hollywood Reporter that the market for the program is extremely active, with traditional linear networks, streaming services, and, quote, unexpected players, end quote, all interested. Raw was the top scripted program on cable Monday nights this past TV season. So wait, wait a minute. So let me read that one. I'll read that key one again. Yes. While the new deal will bring WWE to NBC primetime and SmackDown to USA on Friday nights, it will also mean the end of Raw and NXT on USA. Whoa. So they, they buried the lead there, didn't they? I, all of the, Everything that I was seeing was crowing and talking about SmackDown going to USA, but are they basically now saying they're going to try to to swap and potentially get raw on one of the networks and SmackDown moves to USA? Was SmackDown more affordable to USA, to NBC Universal, than a package of raw and NXT? Was, well, that would make sense because two hours of television instead of five hours of television. Yeah, that's true. That, I, mean, I didn't even think about that aspect of it, but that is a very good point. The five hours of TV, three of raw and two of NXT versus two of SmackDown. With 90 minutes so, of commercials. So, apparently, maybe they think they can get more money from somebody else for Raw and NXT than they can from USA for and just giving them SmackDown. Amazon. Oh, come on. They can't deliver the goddamn tape of the show to everybody's house every Monday. That would, that would get burdensome. 
No, I'm talking about as a street. They'll go purely streaming. I'm fucking with you. Amazon. The only Amazon I see is the truck that pulls up in my driveway. What do you think of the idea of one of these signature shows like a raw going to a fully streaming model? I don't think I've, they might ought to have one show that's only streaming that, that people will watch just to establish a, a base there. But I don't think they need to give up USA and Fox network for USA and anything streaming right now for mainstream exposure their merchandising the the whole nine yards that would be a leap right now would it not even if somebody was going to pay them same money on the theory that well a bunch of people will come over here and start watching rather than there's already a bunch of people over there watching all those are questions that are open-ended for you yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, the idea. I mean, they talk about that they've been with USA they have, or they've been with NBC. They have this big relationship, and then they're getting the primetime specials. And I don't think Saturday night's main events, the last few times they did them on NBC or maybe even a tribute to the troops. I forget what exactly it was. Like, nothing nothing was special. It just felt like no, they, they were kind of they were pre-taped throwaway kind of shows, and I don't think they'll do that this time around. Well, we shall see. Where Raw and NXT end up is going to be very interesting. On that topic, real quick, Jim, I had uh, recently sent you some NXT ratings the last few weeks because I thought it was really interesting, the story that's telling. They're catching up to AEW. They're doing it with WWE talent on the NXT show. But once again, they're catching up to AEW. Have you any thoughts about the NXT ratings? Yeah, well, they're not really just catching up. They're pretty much there. Not only... Uh, for a couple times, have they been over 800,000, which is the range that AEW is in on Wednesdays, but also, didn't I see that there was a million viewer quarter for, was it Becky Lynch, and they've gotten a ton of traction from Dominic Mysterio being on the program because he's hot off the main show, and remember we said this when when it first went on the air, and I'm I'm surprised it took them this long. And maybe it was because, you know, Vince wanted to fuck with it at one point and then they got distracted. But the when they were originally on Wednesday nights opposite each other, AEW and NXT, I said, NXT has the opportunity, has the availability, has the, anytime they want to, they can bring the biggest stars in wrestling onto that program. But they didn't really load it up and do that. And then at that point, was that the point where Vince went crazy and gutted everything when Helmsley had the heart attack and they made it a goddamn Nickelodeon TV show with the bright colors and stripped the talent? And But now they're, they're cross-promoting their main talent on another show that they have on the same network that Raw is on currently. And why the fuck wouldn't they? Because it gets ratings and it helps the young talent that they're trying to develop or supposed to be down there get seen by more people since it's not like old-fashioned developmental where they didn't want people to see you. Do you think part of the reason why they're putting so much talent there, because obviously they're not competing head-to-head with AEW, it's not the Wednesday Night War or anything, is it about hot-shotting those numbers if you're packaging NXT, bundling it with Raw? 
to sell those rights? Possibly. And maybe it's been that way when if they were talking to USA and USA, oh, we can't afford it. Well, we're, you know, we're doing these numbers anyway to show other people that uh, what they'd be getting. So, yes, and the new ownership, they want everything to come up. And of course, you know, it's been feast or famine. I get Raw got hammered this past week, the lowest rated Raw in history or non-holiday Raw or maybe ever Raw. But uh, they were hammered by these big football games. But the previous Friday night, they did almost 3 million people for the Rocks quarter. So did USA maybe think, we'd rather pay more for the goddamn Friday night show because the Monday night gets hammered by football? Who knows? Only Thurston Howell III will be able to figure this, does this out. Does this hurt, though, in the long run, if this is going to mean that you permanently have to have some elements of a brand split because you have different entities that own rights to different programs of yours, and they're going to want their own talent? Their own, they're going to each want top stars. No matter who has the rights to those shows, they want top people. They right. may not want to share it with the other network. Well, but it <laughs> they've been doing it, right? If they're top enough, if you can't tell me that if I've got a WWE program on my network and I get a chance to have Roman Reigns or John Cena or The Rock, but they're on the other program, on the other network, yeah, I'll take them. The other network might not want to get... You can't have that kind of exclusivity. If something big for WrestleMania is coming up, you're seeing people on both programs but the idea is to get the numbers of each individual program as a whole with whatever stars are on it up to where that the network's happy for the money they're paying, I would think. So, you know, it might be an all-hands-on-deck intermingling in the WWE universe, as they say. Well, Jim, before we move completely on from WWE universe talk, as we are recording some news coming in, Last week, we heard about people laid off in the office. This week, it is hitting the roster. This morning, the following names have been released. Ooh, I thought they weren't doing talent releases just all of a quick sudden. Aaliyah. Rick Boogs. <laughs> Elias. Riddick Moss. Top Dollar. <laughs> Shelton Benjamin. Oh, come on. Emma, Mustafa Ali, and that's everyone I'm seeing here. I'm trying to see if there's any other names that I missed. That's everyone I have so far as of this point, but it may... I think these people maybe said it publicly, so that's why it's out, but... Uh, well, they made a mistake with Riddick Moss, but you could they could say that about every gimmick they gave him and every way they used him. But what a athlete and what a talent he was under there somewhere i hope he goes and does something i didn't know a lot of the other people were still around to be honest with you and that may be why they got released so i don't think there's tons of shockers there are there shelton benjamin's interesting they just started doing something with him again well but that's been stop and start and shelton again is a guy that if he, if he wants to still wrestle and he wants to you know, do something he still can athletically and he'd be better off somewhere else that would appreciate him better because I don't know, you know, why they wouldn't do anything with him over the last several times we've seen him, but they weren't. 
Actually, I have a tweet here from Shelton Benjamin. I have been released from my WWE contract. I thank WWE staff, talent, and of course the fans for everything. Something ends, something new begins. Looking forward to my next chapter. Well, you know what they say. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. They do say that. Uh, who's they? Well, they, uh, a lot of those people say that. They all over the place. All right, well. They and them. We will see them, what happens. Them people are saying it. Are you hoping Top Dollar ends up anywhere? Oh, yes. You know, that is a guilty pleasure to be able to watch him just move on television. Just like a fucking manatee in a sweatshirt, I believe, as I said one time. It, except, I, I don't know, do they tape his fins down, you think? Will you stop it? His flippers would get in the way, it seems like. Would you see him any differently if all of a sudden he starts working the indies and trying to work on his craft? Because that's the other thing. Is he someone who's going to stay with wrestling past WWE? No, because it, it, it would still be the same body. He would still move in the same fashion. He would still be uncoordinated and visually unappealing and amusing at the same time. Oh, He's kind of like if Jack Pfeffer had his own bad, bad Leroy Brown. Yeah. Top dollar. <laughs> bad, bad Rufus Brown, his cousin. Well, we will see what happens. And, uh, you know, good luck to everyone. And uh, top dollar, of course. And whether you're talking I, I, dollars. I think, I think he'll land on his feet just like he does when he tries to dive over the top rope. Well, whether you're talking about a top dollar or dollars and cents, we could talk about coins. That's a transition. How'd that work? And of course, gold and silver coins. And I, in fact, have something here on my desk, and I believe you do as well, Jim. That is the cue for Jim Cornette, the popular wrestling personality, to I couldn't come find in the, and say something. I couldn't find the button. I'm leaning over to <laughs> shut up. Stop it now, because I'm. we're talking about the gold here, Brian, is what we're doing, the gold and the silver, because silver, you know what silver is, it's just gold's little brother, because people will take gold and silver, I've got one right here also, you hear me slam this down on the desk, this is a gold coin, and people will take gold and silver in times of crisis, in times of turmoil, in times of trouble. Let's say the zombie apocalypse happens. Let's say there's another, not just a pandemic, but a worldwide plague and things collapse and people are beating each other over the heads in the streets for a head of cabbage. It's got a spot of mold on it. Or let's say Trump gets elected again. Whatever the cataclysm, precious metals, fill feet of lucre, gold and silver are the way to go. Platinum too fancy. Most people don't have a personal relationship with platinum. And, and it just doesn't look like it's that valuable because it's a fucking light. So, you want something you can slap down on the bar of a post-apocalyptic saloon and say, give me a drink of that non-nuclear waste rot gut. What are you talking about? I'm talking about gold and silver coins. The kind that you get from Nationwide Coins. They sell government gold at cost. What government do you ask? It doesn't matter what government. Well, no, it matters. Don't say it doesn't matter. Are, it's, it's gold. Are you defying and denying that this is gold? Then it doesn't matter because when there are no governments, when people are literally foraging for fucking root vegetables in, in wastelands that have been burnt by napalm, 
gold and silver are still going to be worth something. And you're going to be able to take that. And as we've mentioned, you're not even going to be able to just buy stuff with it to feed you and your family as you roam across the fucking plains looking for shelter. But also, because it's heavy, you'll be able to, with your bag of gold or silver coins, beat robbers over the head with it. And that's why you go to Nationwide Coins, because things are uncertain these days. You know, I, you go to experts for every other thing, for your health, you go to doctors, for, for your car, you go to a mechanic. Well, to go to gold and silver, you go to Nationwide Coins. And all of the new customers are going to get their first ounce of gold without any dealer markup whatsoever. That way you take it and you stick it in that hole in the floor where you've buried the old man's heart. You put the gold and silver coins beside it, and that way if anything happens, you've got something to take care of you and your family. And from pre-1933 American rare coins to modern American and foreign coins, Nationwide Coins has a wide array of precious metal products you can't Oh, or you can, you can buy, or you can't. It was, see, it was glaring there. <laughs> Nationwide Coins has a wide array of precious metal <laughs> products you can buy to pass down to your family for generations. Even if your family, three or four generations down the road, grows fins and gills and has to live underwater because we poisoned the environment, they'll take these gold and silver coins with them. And if you're not sure where to start, the Nationwide Coins has precious metal consultants on staff that you can call. That's right, call and talk to them in words, verbal words, out of your own chicken lips, and they will guide you to the right gold purchase for your unique situation. Let's say you're trying to, well, you're trying to bury some gold because when you escape from prison, you're going to need a stake to get started and get to Mexico. Bad idea, bad um, anecdote to use. Anecdotally, I think that's a mistake. Anecdotally, well, they, they, they'll help you if you call them and ask them the right steps to take because they want to help you because that's why they're precious metal consultants. They consult you about precious metals. And right here, I've, this coin is beautiful. It's a gold coin. The, the, Did you take print? it out of the case? Because I'm not taking no, it out I of didn't. the case. Okay, no, well, I put, wanted to make sure. I'm not doing it either. I'm keeping it in. It looks nice. I'm, I'm putting it in my hole in the floor in this case so that there's no chance it can be scratched up before I have to use it to bludgeon an intruder. But it's got the standing liberty. It's a, it's a replica, kind of, of the old uh, United States gold coins. But it's a half ounce, I believe it says right here. One half ounce fine gold. It's a $25 gold coin with the standing liberty. Of course, it's worth more than $25, but, you know, the standing liberty on the front. It's Lady Liberty before uh, the Statue of Liberty owned the copyright. Yes, yes, because she's saluting and she's got a little a little hitch in her get-along there. One of her feet's kicking up. I think she's marching. What, does she have a tree branch? I don't know. I haven't got the goddamn, I haven't got my glasses with me. It's really nice, like, it's, if you, like, twist it, it into the light. It could be a bouquet of flowers. Oh, oh my God, it shines because it's gold. And you know what shines better than gold? Gold. <laughs> That's right, Jim. And of course, it's little brother, Silver. Yes, and a golden girl knows when he kissed her. It's the kiss of death from Mr. Goldfinger. Wow, wow, wow. Anyway, wow. they're one of the nation's leading precious metal firms with over 100 years of combined experience in the precious metals industry. 
They have two old men and one of the guy's nephews, 40 years, 42 years, and 18 years, respectively. That is not the way it works, but they do have the right people. And their team is here to help you make the right decisions with your gold and silver needs. Thousands of satisfied customers. They got an A-plus Better Business Bureau rate. I didn't even know they gave A-pluses. I didn't know a business could be so fine and so upstanding that the Better Business Bureau would say, well, you get an A-plus. Ain't nothing going to top that. Look at this coin. It's beautiful. Well, it is a nice coin, but my gosh, A-plus, that's it. You know what? They bring it to you and they breathe on it and they shine it right up on their shirt before they hand it to you. They do nothing of the the sort. They do nothing of the sort. This coin that I have here in my hand from Nationwide Coin is in a very nice case. It looks very... I mean, it looks nice. I'm with a, with a black it. border, a, a pla- a, not a plastic, that sounds cheap, but one of these <laughs> uh, lucite type of cases where it's a display case. You don't get fingerprints on it. There's only one set of teeth marks on this coin. There are no teeth marks on any of these well, coins. Well, no, as soon as you get a gold coin, you have to fucking bite it to make sure it's real. No, have you ever seen a Western movie? That is not recommended by anyone's dentist, but what this coin does have is amazing detail on the face of this eagle. If I twist it into the light yes. a little bit, I see every little feather. I was about to say hair. Every little feather on this feathered friend's head. And you can get your own feathered friend from Nationwide Yes, and, and, and the, the, eye, <laughs> the eye is twinkling at me once I uh, flip it around in the light. Uh, they got a 4.6 out of 5 rating on Trustpilot. So if you can't trust a pilot, who can you trust? And they offer free shipping and insurance on all the orders just to make sure nothing goes sideways. So... If you want to work with the gold standard in the gold industry or the silver standard in the silver industry or all these precious metals, go ahead to nationwidecoins.com slash JCE and use the promo code JCE at checkout for your very first one ounce gold coin at no dealer markup. They're not going to bite it. They're not going to mark it up with a Sharpie. They're going to give it to you without marking it up. In any way, shape, or form, financially, visually, or otherwise, nationwidecoins.com slash JCE and use the promo code JCE and get your own goiled. They have goiled? They have the greatest goiled in the whole world. Greatest goils. Goils, goils, goils. Get your your own gold coin. And once you've got enough of these gold coins, you can go out and get you some goils, goils, goils. All right, well, let's get back to the wild of wrestling, if you will, Jim. Ah, Boimingham. It was one of our better towns. We have some questions here from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group on the uh, Facebook page. People are still getting in. People are still trying to get in. There's a lot of you. We're trying to make sure no riffraff get in. It takes time. We're sorry. You want to separate the riff from the raff. Occasionally, we'll allow a little riff, but never any raff. This question was sent by Joe Malley. What's the most unintentionally hilarious thing Jim has ever personally seen happen in a wrestling ring? Oh my God. Um, well, I mean, oh, geez, that's hard in 40 years on the sperm of the moment here. Unintentionally. Well, that's the thing. Um, you know, there's some element of comedy when shit goes sideways as long as everybody's okay at the end like when ropes break or people slip and fall off or you know not a comedic spot but some unintentional shit dr d david schultz i've told this story before when i was still a photographer 
Schultz had a deal where he would he would shoot a guy into the ropes, a big leg lariat. He would shoot a guy in the ropes, and then he would run, take a couple of steps, jump up in the air, and stick his big old long leg out and just blast a guy with it, right? And it was just, you know, it was different. So one night, Schultz and Condry, Dennis Condry, are wrestling Ricky and Robert Gibson in Louisville. And at that point, Ricky Gibson gets a sleeper on Dennis and turns his back to Schultz. And they're going to stop Ricky for the heat you know, in the match by Schultz is going to come in and give him, jump up and give him the big leg in the back of the head, right? So the referee's putting Robert out or he's distracted with Robert and Schultz jumps in the ring, takes a couple of steps and runs and jumps and sticks that leg out. And at the same time, Dennis is in a sleeper and he can't see. He kind of slumps over a little bit and Ricky Gibson slumps over with him and Schultz went straight over their fucking heads and landed right in front of them. Boom. And there's both Dennis and Ricky are now looking at Schultz who's landed on his ass and the referee turns around and there's Schultz there and Schultz just gets up and walks back to the fucking corner. Or the time I've told this story before, but it was fucking hilarious mike furnace's comeback in knoxville <laughs> yeah um the doug furnace had come to knoxville to smoky mountain wrestling to work against the heavenly bodies because we were breaking doug's brother mike and he had played football at university of tennessee also not to the level of doug and my it, mike didn't take into wrestling business and then he had a he has somebody he was driving Domino's delivery and somebody ran into him and that ended his career. But Doug Sellen, the heavenly Bodies getting the heat on him and it's the big hometown audience, Knoxville civic Coliseum Christmas night. They've come to see the furnace brothers. And so we're building Mike up to get the big hot tag and make the comeback on the heavenly bodies. And finally, as Doug gets over there and gets the tag, Mike jumps into the ring and runs toward Tom Pritchard and leaps into the air with a flying clothesline and clotheslines Tom who takes a big bump and Mike lands on the mat and his momentum makes him keep rolling and he rolls right on out of the ring underneath the bottom rope on the other side to the fucking floor before he can stop. And the people went, yeah! <laughs> and then and then there Jimmy came into the ring to take a clothesline or something. And he watched the guy fly right out of the fucking, he turns around. What am I do? And then Mike is scrambling because it's like, you don't want people to know you fell. And he scrambled back in there and continued on with it. They took all the bumps, but it was a guy just boom. That was, you had to be there, but that was one of the funnier things. I've, yeah, shit happens like that. I mean, there's countless things. That's why to say the most absolutely hilarious unintentional thing is kind of difficult you know there are things that were funny in a moment but when i think back on them they become funnier and funnier when we went to louisville in 95 for the uh smoky mountain versus uswa show the night kayfabe died in louisville <laughs> but uh when we were there i think was it you and hildebrand against brandy hales and frank morell and frank morell and the losers had to kiss the winner's feet yes because Frank Morrell got on the mic, and I believe the way he said it, it was just so ridiculous. He goes, I'm not happy with this foot and kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Okay. Everyone knew what he meant, but he yes. said nothing. <laughs> he was, I'm not happy with this kissing foot type of thing. I'm not happy with this foot and kiss. Well, that's like, what they say the other day? I'm, I'm glad you opened your ass. <laughs> Well, I mean, imagine the people that were there that night when Dick Murdoch, the classic story, he's supposed to get drop kicked in the back by the fucking baby face, take a bump over the top rope, and he turns around and gives the people the big, ah, and somebody throws a cup of fucking ice and hits him in between the shoulder blades, and he takes a bump over the top rope for it. You know, imagine being in the audience for that. You'd have to fucking laugh. Is that one of the things that Terry Funk did best? That he could mix moments where the fans, and times you could only laugh, but then he also made it serious. Yes, and Dennis Condry used to phrase it better than I ever have heard anybody with that type of thing and guys that could do that. And the Midnight did it, especially on spot shows. You'd make them laugh and then make them mad because you made them quit laughing. The baby faces could do the funny shit to you and they'd be laughing at you. But when you did something dirty and cut them off and then it got more serious, you made them mad because you made them quit laughing. And then they wanted to see you get your ass kicked again. And then in the comeback, hopefully you would. All right, Jim, let's get another question here from the Cult of Cornet. This one from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group sent in by Warren Howler. Warren who? What? H-O-W-E-L-E-R. Well, you just pronounced that very howler. Howler. Well, the E after the W made me extend it a little bit. How would you pronounce it? Howler. Well, let's see what he's howling here. How much of a vote of confidence was it when Dusty Rhodes Rhodes told the locker room when the Midnight Express came into Jim Crockett promotions in 1985 that they were his new top-heeled team? and that they would not be losing until he said otherwise. Were the Midnights and Jim told of these plans before they came into the territory? Uh, well, no, to answer that question first, no. We were told, we knew he wanted to use us. We knew that both Dusty and Flair, because for stories and reasons I've told before, when they had came to Louisiana, they wanted us there. Crockett wanted to bring us in. So we knew they were going to use us well. Uh, there was not the knowledge. He never said, I'm not going to let anybody beat you until I say otherwise, but he said that. Dusty would always have meetings where he would either introduce new talent in the territory or just give you an update. A lot of times it was an intermittent team meeting where everybody went over to Crockett's office and all bundled into Dusty's office. If you can imagine 26, 28 of these guys with referees and everybody in a fucking... 18, 16 by 16 foot office with a fucking desk in it. But, you know, and he'd have team meetings. He'd give the game ball. There was an Italian restaurant all the boys liked in Charlotte. And if, if, if during the week or two before his team meeting, if somebody had really, you know, outperformed their normal output or done something to distinguish themselves, he'd give them a $50, which at the time was dinner for two, $50 certificate to the Italian restaurant. Um, so when he said that in the Omni that night, no, seriously. It's, it's just funny it, the way you put it, it. The game ball. You had a good week. Right? Here's a $50 gift certificate to the yeah. Italian restaurant. <laughs> yeah, Riccio's, I think is what it was. But anyway, he would need to have these meetings, and he brought the midnight in, and he said, 
these guys are going to be my new top heel team and they ain't going to be doing no jobs. Nobody's beating them. We're going to give them a push, that type of thing. That was a tremendous vote of confidence to answer the first question. But we, he didn't tell us that beforehand. We didn't. <laughs> Dusty, are we going to have to do any jobs? No, we're just Dusty. We're coming to you, baby. Make us some money. Were you fully comfortable going to work for Dusty before you got there? Just because obviously that must be a scary thing and you just come out of this experience in Dallas where you need a relationship with the booker. You need the booker to believe in you. You need to feel comfortable with the booker. Did you know it was going to be like that with Dusty or what did you think? Well, yes. Yeah, well, I'm, again, we weren't completely sure, but here's the thing. when In Louisiana, yes, Dundee was the booker. He knew us. Watts was behind us, so we had full confidence. We did great. Then we go to Dallas, mainly because Watts wanted us to go there so that we would be accessible to make dates. We've told that story. But we'd never met Ken Mantell before, before we showed up that day. And we didn't know. I mean, there was a couple of underneath guys at the time in Dallas that had just come over from Louisiana, but we didn't know any of the talent there and had never worked with... Uh, I mean, you know, uh, geez, Mike Dennis had been in Georgia at one point if, uh, you know, Gino had stopped by or whatever, but really no relationships. And it was the, the Von Erich boys, Gino and T and not Gino and Tullet, but Gino and Chris Adams and whoever Gary Hart was managing had those guys tied up. So as a result, we weren't used on top, but then to answer your question, Flair had said, you guys got to come to the Carolinas. Dusty had said, yes, we'd like to come to the Carolinas. I talked to Jim Crockett on the phone. He's yes, we can't wait for you guys to come. So it wasn't, it wasn't like we're going to dip our toe in the water. We had the confidence of the people that were at the top of the company, but then it just depends on whether you get over in a new environment. We were pretty sure we would, especially because the rock and roll were going. But mainly we decided to make the move, not only financially, because we knew we could make as much or more working for Crockett, even in the middle of the card at that point in time, as we were making in Dallas, we'd make longer miles and more dates for it. But also they had just gotten TBS. We'd not only be on Crockett's syndication, we would be on TBS, which was you know, world class was syndicated and a lot of people were seeing us. That's where we first started being seen outside the Mid-South Territory. But TBS was the national wrestling program of record at that point in time. And we knew that if we could do what we'd been doing previously, especially in Louisiana, on TBS and in a territory like the Carolinas with the talent they had, that we would make a fucking fortune. And we did. All right, Jim. Well, this next question, once again, from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group was sent in by Paul. Sh I was going to say Paul Stanley. Paul Shanley would love to hear your thoughts on this on the next podcast. Recently attended the Undertaker's One Dead Man show here in Glasgow, Scotland. In the Q&A part of the show, he was asked who from any company that is currently wrestling would he have liked to have faced in the ring? The answer he gave was MJF. Huh. Talked him up as a future star and loves the fact that he's solid in the ring and lives his gimmick. Also, took a shot at AEW, referring to them as a second-rate company 
which MJF needs to hurry up and leave. <laughs> Curious to know what you both think of this and how you think MJF versus The Undertaker as a feud would have gone. Well, my God, first of all, I mean, for people getting their panties up in a bunch about second-rate company, to The Undertaker especially, don't you think that's what it is? Because, again, the WWF, WWE, he's been there since it was WWF, has made him millions and millions of dollars. It is a whatever, seven, eight, nine billion dollar part of a $20 billion conglomerate. And it's been seen around the world for the past 40 years. And then they, the other guys, you know, the big news is usually when somebody gets choked out or fired in the locker room. So, yes, to, for The Undertaker, especially of anybody, everything else is a second-rate company. And he sees the talent in MJF. And I know a lot of people are, well, MJF and The Undertaker is a, in his prime Undertaker. 100-pound weight difference, foot and height, whatever the case. Who did Undertaker have some of his most memorable matches with at two different points in his career in main events of pay-per-views and WrestleManias, Shawn Michaels. And Shawn Michaels is probably about four inches taller than MJF, but I don't know, did, M did Shawn Michaels ever look as bulky as MJF's upper body does these days? Well, he tried to bulk up when he went solo in 92, but then he slimmed down, not that he wasn't on the shit, because then he got really tight uh, right before he flaked out and left. He got really tight? But uh, that, you know did, what that I just mean. didn't sound right from you. Well, ask Vince about that. I'm talking well, about the way but he nevertheless, looked on TV. But so the point is, the size would be the issue. You've got MJF as a, again, in the WWE, I see MJF as the modern version of Roddy Piper, the heel, the straw that stirs the drink, the heel that stirs everybody up, that is a, a shit disturber and the verbal linguist and eventually he has to meet the dead man and that's where you would get the the michaels and undertaker vibe because of the size difference and because of the the fact that you've got a smart ass fucking pretty boy kind of type against the undertaker and those matches would be off the charts because yes michaels was a once in a lifetime performer in the ring he could only dream on his best day that he could do the promo that MJF can do in his sleep. But MJF has not proven himself yet to be a generational in-ring worker, but he could do all the shit that would be needed to be done to have a classic match with The Undertaker, in my opinion. All right. Well, our next question, Jim, sent on Facebook from the Cult of Cornette Facebook group by Taylor Benjamin. Why does Jim think Kansas City isn't a big wrestling city anymore? We haven't had a pay-per-view, or PLE, since Money in the Bank 2010. And that's the end of that question. And that is. Um, you know, and I've joked about Kansas City before. In the territory days, except if you were Harley Race and part owner or Bulldog Bob Brown and you lived there and had... I don't what do you have a liquor store or other side businesses? I don't know. You weren't gonna make any money in Kansas City in the in the Kansas City territory. You weren't. In when 1983, when Memphis was doing big business, but there was too many of us, 
you know, Kenny Wayne was trying to get booked through Buck Robley. Buck was booking in Kansas City. And he, he was like, Buck, how much might I make there? He's, well, Buck said, I made $350 last week, but that was for working and booking. And fuck, I was making almost $300 a week being the flunky manager in, in Memphis. And uh, Frank Morell had the great line. He said, he, Buck tried to get him to come to Kansas City one time. And Frank said, Buck, I just don't think I have enough money in the bank to come work for you. He said, last time I came in there, I came in on a $20,000 Cadillac and I left on a $60,000 Greyhound. But anyway, as far as modern times, I mean, you know, the Kansas City is a great sports town for their local teams and et cetera, et cetera. And it's not like, you know, the wrestling shows are held in the old Memorial Hall in front of, you know, a dwindling crowd of, you know, income-challenged individuals like it was in the dying days of the territory, but Kansas City's still not in the middle of, you know, big cities that they like to go to with places around that people can drive from. One of the deals why they put that, um, which WrestleMania was at the Hoosier Dome years ago? WrestleMania 8. Okay, well, they put WrestleMania 8 in the Hoosier Dome because Indianapolis, you could drive from Cincinnati, you could drive from Louisville, you could drive from Detroit, you could drive, it was like a central location, and maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe they just can't route well with Kansas City. Besides St. Louis, what major city would you route with Kansas City if you had to do a pay-per-view one night and a Raw the next night and whatever the fuck? Do you think because of the Owen Hart death that that would cause them to stay away from Kansas City for a lot well, of Well, then stuff? they would then they wouldn't have gone back in 2010, would they? Cuz it's a lot closer in 2010 to what happened than it is now. All right, Jim, well, let's get another one here. This is from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group by Anthony Scaldone. A go-go? Anthony Scaldone, I believe this would be. And there's a picture attached here. Recently, a friend's father passed away at age 80. As my friend and his brothers were growing up and discovering wrestling, their dad told them that when he was in Catholic high school, in the 1950s, Killer Kowalski made an appearance and spoke to his class about pro wrestling. After his dad passed, my friend was sorting through his old photos oh, no. and found this gem. It is Killer Kowalski hanging with the class. And there's a priest also there in the middle. I believe it would be a priest. This sparked a memory of mine, too. When my dad was in a similar Catholic school, he told me that Vern Gagne made an appearance and handed out autograph photos. My dad never liked wrestling and gave his photo to a nun that wasn't <laughs> there that day. Anyway, I was, was big with the nuns. <laughs> anyway, I was wondering why this seemed to be a common practice back in the old days. Was this how wrestlers promoted shows by getting the kids excited and they would ask their parents to take them? Was this to recruit athletes? Thanks. Love the shows. Well, I mean, again, wrestlers going to talk to kids at a school is obviously not a new thing, but it's not outrageous. It's, I mean, you know, there, there was, there was a time in the territory days when the promoters wanted 
And I don't know when Killer Kowalski might have been the top babyface. Maybe that was when he went on the vegetarian and religious sabbatical from wrestling no, or whatever. I think this is before then because, you know, you based think? on the way he looks and how, like, his face and his how hair. How giant he is. He's still big. Thick. And he's got hair. He still has okay. hair. Yeah. Well, he was always a nice fella. But the promoters would want the babyfaces in the territory to go and be seen and be you know, loved by the the fans, the population, the people in the towns. Maybe there was a wrestling fan at the school. A principal might have been a fan. Hey, they'd call the office and say, could Vern Gagne, the cleanest living athlete in the world, come down and speak to our fine school of, you know, kids or whatever. And occasionally, or maybe because Vern was so hooked up with you know, the community shit, because he was the owner that he might have had a friend that was running the school. But I mean, all those things, you would see hospital visits that usually there'd be pictures or, you know, uh, assemblies of schools, they'd speak or they would be at, at the local ball games. Another good example is the boys ranch that, you know, Eddie Graham brought it to Florida because Dory Sr. and Cal Farley in Amarillo had done the Boys Ranch thing where that was a home for underprivileged or at-risk or troubled kids that they would try to straighten them out, teach them trades or whatever. And they were always heavily involved in that. It's the same thing now on a not a really a local level, but John Cena doing all the make-a-wishes. Or, you know, you see the WWE talent when they're in a town often going to visit some kid in a hospital or some local charitable function. It's the same thing. It's just, it's not territory by territory anymore. It's now it's the national stars, but that's not unusual. Well, it, it would have been unusual if like Don Fargo had been asked to go talk to the kids at school. But it wasn't something you as a promoter for like Smoky Mountain Wrestling saw as a priority. Like, you know, we need someone to set up appearances for the wrestlers at schools. Well, we were trying to get them appearances at the spot shows at the, you know, at the schools. And yeah, if you book a spot show, we can send somebody by to speak to. And we did. If we had a show in a school and it was, it was close enough to where the guys were going by that day or close enough to the home base of the weekend where they would go over and, and appear and talk to them every so often. But, you know, that was to help drum up interest in that particular town. It wasn't like we had bigger fish to fry before we could just worry about, hey, go out and spread goodwill and cheer across the community. All right, well, maybe you didn't want to spread cheer throughout the community, but one thing that would make the community more cheerful would be if everyone in the community had a box of awesome delivered right to them. Well, you know what? I did. You hear that? What is that? That is my latest box of awesome. I waited to take this thing because I wanted to share this with you, Brian. You and I are real close. We're we're so close. Sometimes I'm coming out the other side of you. We're good friends. We're 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 very good friends. We're good friends. And and I wanted to share this with you because good friends share good times with each other. And uh, you know, you give me a good time, and then later on, I'll give you a good time. Well, that's no, the way it works. that's not the way it works. But I am curious. What did you get with your box of awesome here? Well, I'll open it up and I'll tell you, because... Do you have a box cutter or anything? Well, I've already cut the top of it. Oh. 
But I didn't open everything else. But uh, on the top so we're of starting, the box. So we're starting with a lie. That's what you're saying. Well, what? I'm opening the box now. I've cut it open, but I'm opening the flaps now, and I'm taking out <laughs> the stuff that's still sealed in the interior boxes. Okay. And this is what's in my box of I got from the Rustic Bakery, and they are located in Petaluma, California, 94954, I'll have you know, rusticbakery.com. They have sent me a box of olive oil organic sourdough flatbread bites. And I have a feeling I'm not, and they're non-GMO verified and USDA organic. And I have a feeling I'm not going to get to eat these because if sourdough is involved, because of its relationship to the golden state of California, Stacy often appropriates these things for me. But this is, and it looks, they've got a picture of it. You're using the sourdough flatbread bites with this lovely looking creamy dip. But the dip is not in the box. You got to get your own dip. What were you talking about? The relationship with people from California and sourdough? Sourdough. Sourdough bread's the biggest thing in San Francisco. What's the matter with you, boy? Ain't you got no book learning? I thought crime was the biggest thing in San Francisco. No, it's sourdough bread and then crime. People keep robbing people's car to steal and the then, sourdough bread? Yes, that's what they're breaking in for. It's the goddamn good. She used to work at Bodine's, the big sourdough place down there. Their dough's so fucking sour, you'll be puckered for weeks. <laughs> but anyway, from the Rustic Bakery in Petaluma, got the... And then here is something. I'll tell you why I'm having to lean over here to get in this box of awesome. Here is something. I got my own brown nosing kit right here. I'm so wait a minute. I'm sorry. Correction to scratch that. It's a bourbon nosing kit. I misread it. I don't have my glasses on, but you know, Brian, your nose needs to be trained to find the nuances in bourbon. And we are, we're the, 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 the Kings, the overlords down here, the center of the market of the, the bourbon industry here in Kentucky. So you got to nose your bourbon and what this does as a matter of fact, he open up this box, and it's got a quote from Mark Twain, who also went by the name Samuel Clemens, from what I've heard. Well, the other way around, but yeah. Well, sometimes he went by it. Too much of anything is bad, but too much good whiskey is barely enough. That's what he said. And so what you do here, what they've got here, you see, on this kit, is they've got the various implements... Or ingredients that's in bourbon. You got your oak, you got your caramel, your cherry, your black pepper, your brown sugar. And you nose these. Oh, yeah. that's That smells like corn. You nose these things <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so that you can identify. What are, what are you talking about? Now, here's the, the thing of oak. See, it's got chips of. See, that smells like oak. And that way, you I want to do this. That scent. It's not fair that you're doing this. I want to do this yeah. too. Hold on. This one is. Hold black, on. Black pepper here. Can't get to. Well, that's going to make sense. All right. Well, you'll be sneezing all over these amazing products that are but sent to you. A, well, well, wait a minute. Now, hold on. That's not all. This is. Can you get all kinds of stuff in a box of awesome? That's why it's awesome. Let me put this down here by the side here. I feel like I'm Johnny Carson doing a bit on the desk. Now, there's always a big box inside the box. Hold on. Open it. Don't see, wrestle it. What are you well, doing? Well, also, see, I can. I can. Uh, 
I can nose my bourbon and get the nose for the bourbon while I'm eating the olive oil organic sourdough flatbread bites. And then as I open this box here, and the flap comes, well, then there's some foam. It's very well wrapped. And it look, it's a, a brick of styrofoam. Oh, and inside, son of a gun, two bourbon tasting glasses and a glass stirrer. Hear that? You're going to break something. From, Can you stop? From Maison Farine. Maison Farine. I don't know if that's a person from France or a company. What are you farting? What is, what is going no, on over I mean, there? I picked up the box. Picked up the box. It's got and it's got little places you put the straw the or the stirrer, the glass stirrer back in the thing, and the tasting glasses, and then you put the brick of styrofoam over the top of it, and they won't get broken that way. So I'm all fixed up for nosing out some bourbon and eating some crackers. All right. Well, but that's what you, you, have folks, you can get all sorts of things, not just that, but things. all sorts of things. Not all, not all that. You can get that if you want, or you can get, you can get something that's all that. You can get with this or you can get with that. You can get with this or you can get with that, or you can get with the other thing. From camping gear essentials to cocktail upgrades and cozy threads, Box of Awesome has collections for every part of your life. You go to boxofawesome.com and you take the quiz because they'll tell you, or you'll tell them what you're interested in, and then they'll tell you what they're going to send you, and you're going to like it with a smile on your face. And they release new boxes every month across a ton of different categories of interest, genres, and each box is valued at around $70, but you only pay a fraction of that price because they know people, and they get you hooked up with discounts. Some of this stuff fell off a truck. None, Plus, of, this none of this stuff fell off a truck. Well, it didn't get damaged. None with of each, this stuff fell off a truck, and of course, not damaged, as we just heard from your playing with glass. Yes, they're very, they're wrapped very well, and 90% of everything that comes in your box of awesome is from a small up-and-coming brand. So a lot of these small up-coming brands use small trucks. It's easier for things to fall off. But you're supporting small businesses, as far as they know, when you uh, cooperate with this. It's free to sign up. You can skip a month, cancel any time. Right now, Get 20% off your first monthly box when you sign up at boxofawesome.com and enter the code DRIVE, D-R-I-V-E, at checkout, boxofawesome.com. The code DRIVE, 20% off your first box, wrapped well, filled with fun items that you can eat or drink with or potentially, I don't know, you know, butcher things with. They got knives. If you want to cut somebody, no. If you want to cut through some you wanna, sourdough you wanna, bread, or you want to cut somebody off your Christmas list by buying them a knife set or whatever. That's right. That's what I was trying to say. Boxofawesome.com. The what code is, is drive. That doesn't even make sense. You're gonna cut them off your Christmas list by giving cross them, them off, cut them off, whatever you cross. See, I just take scissors and cut people's names off the list when I've got their gift. You go down? I mean, otherwise it would be kind of a mess if you're not going down. Well, it, it does at some point look like a magazine page that a ransom note has been written out of, but... Box of Awesome, ladies and gentlemen. Code Drive. Code Drive. Check them out. We certainly like their products. Jim, more news as we are recording. Oh, boy. Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful.com has reported on Twitter. Fightful has learned 
Former World Heavyweight Champion Dolph Ziggler has been released by WWE. Oh! <sighs> well, I mean, again, that's not unexpected probably because of the way that they have used him or not used him over the past while remember even you know a few years ago we were saying boy Dolph's a great worker and we know he's going to get beat and they never do anything with him so again if he wants his brother uh hangs out with the Cucamonga kids doesn't he so maybe if uh if he wants to continue wrestling you know, I'm sure Tony would be glad to write him a large check because he's a former WWE champion. Or he can do the stand-up comedy thing. I don't think he's going to be hurting for money, but again, that might... It's ridiculous when you think about it that they have to release a talent as good as he is in the ring, but it indicates how they've used him for the past several years that he's not worth more to him, even though he's that good, that they want to keep him. So it might be the best thing that he goes somewhere and, and does something else if he wants to and uh, learns a new hold, gets a new look, or just uh, is appreciated better. Is that the hard thing, though? Because we've seen a lot of guys come into AEW. I mean, if you look at AEW now, it's filled up a lot of guys that were not pushed to their level, a lot of people thought, in WWE. They ended up there. Dolph's been there longer than all of them. I mean, he must have been there as Dolph Ziggler, what, at least 13 years, 12 years? I mean, it's a he, long time. It, oh, yeah. Well, he was in OVW in 2005. Yeah, so, well, so there you go. So he wasn't Dolph Ziggler yet then. It was a little bit after that. No, they, they, had, to, they had to ruin everybody's career with the Spirit Squad first, and then he changed his name and, and got out of it. But I don't know if it would be advantageous to AEW or him if he just showed up on AEW TV with just a different name and, like you said, same haircut or anything else. Japan may be a better option for someone like that if he still wanted to do stuff in wrestling, although the style may be a little physical. I was, well, but here's the thing. <laughs> I don't know that he is that committed at this point to wrestling when he's had a pretty good spot for 20 years or whatever that he wants to go to Japan and get dropped on his head or beat up by those fucking guys just for the love of the game and, you know, whatever level of money they're paying these days, if somebody's going to pay him six figures to work part-time in his native country, I would assume he'll probably look at that, but I don't know that he's going to go off chasing international commitments just because he needs to. Well, Jim, another question from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group. This one was sent over by Sohil Nandwani. Oh, sure it was. I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee and became... Oh, sure you do. I live in Chattanooga... I guarantee you no goddamn body in Chattanooga, Tennessee can produce that man's name. Well, let me go back to his question. This pronounce man. it either. Produce it. Pronounce it. Produ they, well, they, I, I can't even pro pronounce produce or produce pronounce. I don't know where this man was produced, but once again, I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee and became good friends with Pat Rose. Oh. He lives a little south of here in Georgia. I know Pat can't pronounce that name. We shared some beers and I got to hear some hilarious stories of Jim driving in the territories. Any fun stories you can remember of Pat, I know it would mean a lot to him. Well, no, Pat Rose is, there is a picture that circulates every once in a while on Twitter of the Mid-South Wrestling Heel Crew in 1984. There's me and uh, Bobby and Dennis, Nikolai Volkov, Crusher Khrushchev, Buddy Landell, 
and and Pat Rose with the mustache is is uh, as I recall kneeling down in front of us at at one point, and Jerry Gray may have been in that too. And uh, Pat was uh, he was from Chad the Chattanooga area, as the guy said, and he broke in in the late seventies, really under the last couple years of Nick Goulas, and you know he was a very good worker. He, he was vertically challenged. He wasn't as tall as as he needed to be back then for people to go, oh, but, you know, but he was bulky and he was strong and he he was a good worker. And when, uh, not only when Dundee was booking in 84 in Louisiana, they brought him in, but also he had been down there when we did the Georgia summer thing in 83 because he was local and had worked for that the Georgia wrestling superstars group that I was involved in. So we knew him from there. Just a great guy. And he did a hilarious pig man impersonation. When you were riding down the road with him, he would take his fucking finger and put it up on the end of his nose and, and bend his nose up and, and talk. I can't do it, but he would talk like a pig. If a pig was speaking English and it was fucking hilarious. And he was generally talking about either one of the fans in Louisiana or one of the local promoters, one or the other. Um, but it was goddamn, uh, it was hilarious, as I said. And besides being pig man, he could also uh, put his, we used to stop a lot of times at the, remember the Sizzler? The Sizzler Steakhouse, that chain? Yeah, of course. They had all-you-can-eat, well, they didn't have all-you-can-eat steak. They had steak and all-you-can-eat fried shrimp back in 1984 in those days. And there was one on the way to New Orleans. And we would leave early enough. Me, Bobby, Dennis, Pat Rose would come. A lot of time with Carl Fergie, Buddy Landell, whoever the fuck. And we would converge on this sizzler and eat them out of the fucking fried shrimp. It was a, So he had a capacity for that also. Pat does a, um, a big-time fishing show. And has for years now, down on the radio in Chattanooga. And is a well-thought-of fishing expert down there. But great fucking guy. All right, you never think of fishing as being a radio sport, but there it is. Well, I ta he talks about the fishing. And it's better for radio, not only because he has the perfect face for radio, but that way you can't see when he... When he holds up pictures of fish he's caught and he tells lies, you can't see how much he's lying. All right, well, I don't know about any of that, but there's uh, Pat Rose here on the show. Jim, a couple quick questions, and then we'll get out of here. Songs return next week. Theme songs return soon, because a couple of these songs are definitely ready to be themes. Jim, this question from the Cult of Cornet Facebook group by Marcus Rose. Who would Jim rather manage in his prime? Gunther or FTR? Wait a minute, is that my prime or their prime? Your prime. <laughs> okay. You want to leave the house, um, I think that kind of prime. Yes. Um, boy, you know what? See, that's the thing is, I could say, well, FTR, because I naturally fit better with tag teams. I had more experience. It was a, you know, a uh, synergistic relationship. And it would have been fun, but at the same time, you know, I kind of did well with monsters too, whether it be Yokozuna or Vader or Big Bubba. And I like that kind of thing. And I'm not saying Gunther is a monster like a Vader, but a big single wrestler physically dominating and intimidating that you can, you know, make people scared of. Um, and that not only is actually in the WWE, but pretty much everywhere was a better spot than a tag team, even though. The midnight rock and roll 
angle caused us to be used in more main events than most tag teams, even in the NWA. But the big top spot would have been wrestling Flair or wrestling the WWF champion or wrestling the area singles guy. So there had been probably more money if Gunther and I were together in a particular territory or place. Um, FTR would have been more fun. I think we could have made a little bit more money with Gunther. Jim, our final question here today, sent via the Cult of Cornet Facebook group by Andreas Heitzinger. What is now G- that somebody's just making all these names up? Well, I think his parents made that name up when they named them, but what is Jim's favorite tag team finisher? Oh, boy. Well, of, of the, again, of the Midnights, of a team that I have personally managed, or just the greatest tag team finisher of all time? Well, your, favorite, your favorite tag team finisher of or all time. Or my favorite. Um, I always loved the Midnight Express's Vegematic, uh, the leg drop when Stan had the guy bear hugged. That was probably my favorite one of theirs, just because, I don't know, I just, I liked the way it looked. But, you know, you can't, I mean, the, the, my favorite being terms of the most successful, the Rock and Roll Express's double drop kick was fantastic. But if you're talking about all inspiring moves, you know, when the Road Warriors first started doing the Doomsday device, that was goddamn impressive. Um, Slater and Orton had a number of great tag team, double team moves that, when we were first getting together with the Midnight, I tried to steal a few. The drop toe hold elbow for its simplicity. It used to, you could pop it in out of anywhere. I don't know. I'm being faced with this on a completely cold basis. What am I overlooking, Brian? Uh, any WWF tag team from the 80s? Uh... Well, I mean, it's, it's, again, the Road Warriors, they did the... the Road Warriors demolition. Demolition did the uh, way with the Heart Foundation did the bear hug clothesline, but Demolition did something similar as well, did they not? Axe would put you over his knee. Oh no, Smash would put you over his knee, and then Axe oh, would that's come right. off with a elbow drop. Yes, that's right. Well, that one was a good one too. Tully right. and Arn, they had a few. Um, Spike the fan, You know what the 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 Fantastics, the um, some of the shit like the. The goddamn deal they did where Bobby climbed to the top and Tommy was in front of him and and they would grab hands and Bobby would leap forward in a flying cannonball and Tommy would propel him. That was that was neat. All right. Well, that's what the uh, expert in tag team wrestling had to say about this topic. How about the, how about the team of balls that I've got in my hand right now for for that question? Well, there's a team of balls in Jim's hand right now, but that will be the final question here today. Again, a- I got to go to the hospital apparently. A shorter episode of the drive-thru. We will return to full-size length next week. And you'll hear more about Stephen P. New on this weekend's experience when we talk about that, cast media. That's right. There was, a, there was a little shrinkage on this episode because of the cold water. Well, I don't know about that, but again, you can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me at Great Brian Last. Listen to the Wrestling News 605 Super Podcast, patreon.com slash Cornette. $5 a month gets you access to the archive. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections, all with the very popular Travis Heckle artwork. Don't forget about Cornette's collectibles at jimcornette.com, where you can get all that jimcornette.com kind of stuff. And of course, we'll be back 
Oh, the draft is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888 8084 Get even with Stephen. And we will be back in a few days on the experience. But until next week on the drive-thru, for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!